Hey Kyurokote, welcome to the Invisible Sensei Podcast. Hope you're well. Hey guys, just want to do a quick shout out to everyone who listened to um, Sensei John Marable's interview last time, uh, the last podcast. It was really cool to have two really prominent Gojuru Sensei back to back with um, Sensei Murray Simpson prior to that, who had some fantastic insights as well. So looking to um, continuing that theme of talking to practitioners I admire, I've got today's guest on. Um, and just before we get to that, a little bit of housekeeping. You can hit me up on Instagram at Invisible Sensei Podcast. If you've got some thoughts, you've got some feedback, I'd like to put up some videos and some promos of up and coming interviews and so on and so forth. And also on our Facebook page, the Invisible Sensei Podcast. I always feel so cheap saying all that stuff, but I hope you're well. <clears throat> so today what I did was I wanted to talk to someone. I Actually, it's funny. Um, my guest today is one of my best mates, which is say that right off, right off the, uh, right off the bat. And, you know, it's one of those. It's, he's one of those people who you know you have. We were talking this morning about how you have those group of people in your life, some of which are, um, you know, you have a lot of friends, but there's very few people that are, are, are like brothers, are like family, or in Māori we call family whānau. Uh And this guy's one of them. Uh, He's many things. Uh, we've been down some interesting paths together, you and I. And um, he's a martial artist. He's a great, one of the best martial artists I know. He's a carver. Um, he does traditional Māori carving, traditional Māori music. Um, he kind of is one of those guys who, whatever he picks up, he seems to be really bloody good at, which pisses me off in all of our friends. Um, he's got a fantastic life story and he's a great martial artist. So I want to welcome Arapi Takamo onto the Invisible Sensei podcast. Kia ora, bro. Kia ora, mate. Thanks for having me. Nah, man. Good to have you. Good to have you. And, um, uh, you know, I'm going to try and get more and more these people who um, inspire me. And you're definitely one of those. Now, um, I should say also, if you're hearing some knockings, knockings around in the back, it's because our families both are working from home, so they're trying to be quiet, but there may be the sounds of people doing work or just kids banging their heads against walls or whatever it is that kids do. Um, but I want to thank you, bro. You know, you started martial arts as a very young man. And um, so, um, Arapetu is a primarily Okinawan Gojuru stylist. Um, his instructor was well, is Sensei Kevin Shaw, who coincidentally is his uncle as well, <laughs> um, and one yeah, of my yeah, teachers too. <laughs> so, bro, what was your entry into martial arts, and um, what kind of kept you doing it? I guess, um, like a lot of young young men in New Zealand, uh, Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee movies. My uncles would come from the Chatham Islands. That's where my family originally from, and uh, they would hire out every Bruce Lee movie and we'll sit around and the TV hook up the video player and we'll all watch them together and I just wanted to be like him. basically he was, uh, he was my idol uh, Mike Tyson all my uncles uh, got me into boxing at a very young age maybe I would say around four they got me holding these massive gloves and you know, doing combinations working the myth that's my, my first uh, introduction. Me, bro. So, <clears throat> one of the things, um, Arapit is also a powerlifter amongst many other things. And it was funny to give you an idea of how kind of crazy loony we are. 
um, a couple of years back, but two years back, we were on tour in the far north of uh, New Zealand. Oh, yeah. And we walked, yeah. <laughs> we were doing this work, and we walked into this gym, which was a CrossFit gym, and he just turned to me and says, Oh, my two favorite things lifting heavy things and punching things so it was it was awesome but um <laughs> now bro you you started a gorgeru how old were you when you started i was 11 i was 11 at the time mm. yeah mm. it was down in petoni off beauty street with michael kev yeah what actually happened uh, was uh, a quiet person you know, a soft-natured kind of guy and uh, i was getting a bit pushed around school at college. I came up to Wellington College and the culture shock was, uh, how do I say it, uh, it was intense for me, because uh, mainly because I didn't understand the culture uh, mm. up, up here. Can I just uh, jump in, sorry to interrupt you bro, can I just give, yeah, to I, give people a little bit of context, so Arapita's talking about the Chatham, Chatham Islands, for those of you who don't, or... Um, Whare Cody and Māori, so for those of you who don't perhaps know where that is and what that entails, um, it's a small, it's an island which I liken to, it's, it's not so much of an island, it's, it's huge for an island but small for a country, um, it's got its own culture, its own indigenous yeah. culture and traditions and stories and, and can you just, bro, to give people a, um, a, insight into sort of how different it was for me. You, you related to me a story about how you got vertigo the first time you came to Wellington. I should say also to Wellington oh, is, is New Zealand's capital city. Do you want to tell us about, a bit about that, bro, just to give people a bit of a background? Yeah, well, um, the sort of where I grew up, the, the highest structure I ever saw was a tree. You know, and the trees back on the island that grow that big, and the trees in Christchurch were, where we lived were hedges, basically. I came into Wellington City and uh, I saw sky, skyscrapers for the first time and I was kind of on my hands and knees crawling along along the city centre there because I didn't understand actually how big these structures were. I, I was you know, seeing things on TV but just the immense size of them, I felt like they were falling in on me and I got down on my hands and knees and started crawling. Just, uh, wow. Wow. Yeah. crazy. Yeah, it's, a, <laughs> it's it's interesting. Which, which people that know me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting too because um, if you have an opportunity, guys, um, and uh, just uh, yeah. Google uh, the Chatham Islands, New Zealand, or yeah. Te Cody, New Zealand, and you'll see how small the place is. And it's a real. I would. Some people have characterised it as the Wild Wild West. Um, I've had the opportunity to go out there once and really enjoyed it. It's a beautiful place and met some really cool people. Um, so you come from this tiny community where everyone's related, literally, to to to, to a greater or lesser extent. And and how many people on the whole island at that time? Would you say? Uh, at the moment, there's roughly about five hundred. Five hundred people. So it gives you an idea of how small the island is. And you come to, you end up doing karate. And also, another thing yeah. for you, bro, was that you had um, a learning disability that wasn't diagnosed for quite a while, eh? So, what was the story there? Yeah. Well, with, uh, I was uh, diagnosed with dyslexia. And uh, so, it made it quite difficult for me to uh, read and write. My, and my understanding of the world was somewhat different but 
this makes it for me uh, over the past few years that has become an ability and in a way that my spatial awareness, the way I pick things up, uh, it's improved my life quite a lot, um, I'd say. Especially in, in terms of karate, karate uh, has a lot of form and uh, my ability to mirror, although I do it the opposite backwards sometimes, uh, my ability to mirror is sort of a, my uh, father, he called it a gift. Uh, a lot of people can't mirror exact. Yeah. But yeah, I'm very, and I used to hate it because I'd always sit at the end, in the back of the class trying to learn. As the years have gone by, it's something that I've embraced in. Yeah, it's an ability now, so in, in my Mm. You know, when I first, other, um, people who know me and Arapita say, I think we grew up together because we, we were like peas in a pod. Well, he's a better looking, smarter, younger peas in the, pea in the pod, I should say that. Um, I always remember bro, meeting you um, here in Wanua Mata where we live. Um, I had some students that had started training with me and they were telling me about you, um, you know, what a great guy you were, this and that. And then when I met you and realised who your teacher was, inviting you to the dojo and... I think for me, and, and I say this with um, humility, and I mean this from a, a place of complete humility, um, you know, I'm a big guy and I'm not easily thrown around the place. You came into the dojo and just sort of had the measure of me right from the start, and I'm going, this guy's... And, and at the time, bro, you were on a weight loss journey. Um, yeah, so what? So how heavy were you? I mean, having said this, you, mate, you, you handled yourself so well. It was like fighting... It was it was hard. It was hard because you just you absorbed shots and you did things to me that, um, yeah, my ego didn't like. Um, I remember getting kicked and some of my best techniques not shifting yet. So, and that hasn't changed. Um, so yeah, bro. In terms of that stuff, what what's been the sort of journey of that? Uh, in terms of uh, my weight loss journey, that it was actually uh, coming to the dojo with. with with you that uh, my weight started to come off and I realised I can still move and do martial arts so I had this uh, phobia at the time I was uh, when I came here I was knocking I was 180 kilos uh, just over 180 kilos which is uh, what, uh, four, near 400 pounds but 400 I'm not sure it's quite quite a big guy I'm, I'm only 6 foot 5'11 uh, so it was quite a bit of weight to, to carry, um, but my my um, mentality wanted wanted me to still move at, at a guy that weighed two hundred and twenty pounds, hundred kilos. My body wouldn't do it. Mm. Uh, but uh, as, as in anything, perseverance and, and uh, having good people around you, such as yourself. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing, the thing is also you were very well trained as well. I mean, um, you know, you, oh, yeah. you go back to your sort of formative training. I mean, you'd done, you'd fought, you'd, you'd gone up against world champions and Sensei Kevin Shaw. Oh. If you're listening to this, you know Sensei Kevin Shaw. <laughs> Sensei Kevin Shaw is one of those people who I think was ahead of his time. He was the first instructor that I met who incorporated really good jiu-jitsu teachers. There was boxers, oh. there was karate people of different ilks. Sensei Shaw himself had yeah. come from Kyokushin and then embraced Gorjuru. Um, and the ways in which he was training back then, and even had weapon work and things like that. And what yeah, was it sure. like for you as a young, 
young Māori man coming from the Chathams, um, you know, having dyslexia, um, having to enter the dojo, and, you know, like, obviously, as you say, you were getting picked on a bit. Um, what was those initial years like? When did you feel the change? What was there, When did you start feeling like, oh, you know, I could actually continue doing this? Well, that actually, for me, it actually started a few years into karate. I got an altercation and I sort of retaliated for the first time in my life, really. And uh, I, a lot of people say you shouldn't do this and that. But, uh, you know, I felt at the time it was necessary to, to fight back. And for the first time in it, in a very long time, I, I fought back against this young young man, and I realised that karate instilled in me confidence, but also discipline. And in the way where I done enough to get out of the situation, but didn't carry on. You know? mm. And I watched a lot of things happen at my school where the children would just carry on. You know? These young men would stomp stomp guys out and things like that. It was. Uh, a rough school at, at the time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sort of a, a privilege, as friends, I'm privy to sort of some of your upbringing and sort of how difficult schooling was for you and sort of mm-hmm. um, just what was happening on a social, on, a, on I guess a, a cultural level that time with uh, white power and all yeah. those sort of things, which are uh, yeah. um, white supremacist movement, stuff. you know, all of that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. And those were. Those were troubling times. Actually, I started doing Taekwondo, uh, got some, some lessons at, in the beginning, but uh, I was a bit lazy and didn't like kicking so much, and there was a lot of kicking. Uh, but don't worry, uh, Taekwondo these days get a bit of a hard rap, but as I can recall back down in Christchurch, Taekwondo was a very full contact style uh, in the 80s, it would have been. Mm. Yeah. But it's a very good style. But one, I can't even remember. I was so young. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Martial arts has been a part of my life forever. Yeah. Now you, you, you sort of when I think of martial artists, these many strings to Arapita's bow, and that um, he's a um, quite an amazing musician, and he won't be the person who says it, but he seems to be able to pick up tunes and forms and things like that. And just one day we were, we were standing, where there's a there's a music hall next to where we train and there was this piano there and I was we, we were humming a tune he's walked over and started playing it on the piano and I said when did you start playing the piano he goes now <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah just to make sense so with dyslexia I mean with dyslexia forces I mean creates in you a different way of seeing the world how did that impact upon your karate and your martial arts because you, you did a lot of different things well, I mean you know you're an artist you're a carver yeah. Um, you, you know, you you know, you do all these incredible design things. How does dyslexia influence the way you see martial arts or, or just art, the arts in general? Uh, for me, uh, uh, it, it influences me like uh, how do I say, it? like uh, like a painting. No, when. I see the brightness in something, the bright colours that are on a canvas. I'm like, wow, that really it moves me, it motivates me in a certain way. That this is what martial arts is, karate. Uh, 
the movement, the, the actual functionality of it, the way the biomechanics, the, the way you saw, uh, people can dance. It's like a dance that just moves me. And I, I've always been drawn to martial arts. Mm. The, the dyslexia, and with dyslexia, it sort of took away the, the things I struggled with a lot, like the reading and writing, because the majority of it was through uh, memory. Mm. and repetition and mimicking parroting. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when I think of a parrot, you're not the first person that comes to mind, bro. When I think of a parrot, I think of a parrot. <laughs> but I mean, you know, like for me, one of the things that I really, uh, has been really interesting for me is that you kind of cross over into lots of different areas. I mean, there's all the, you know, the powerlifting and all that sort of stuff. And one of the things that I'm really lucky for me, Arapit um, has really influenced and coached me a lot on, the, on Olympic lifts and things like that, which is actually, I think, part and parcel of what I've been able to continue almost I'm 48 now so I'm hoping that you know into my 50s I'll be stronger and better able to pursue karate than I have in my in my 30s and 40s 20s and teens and before that (laughs) (laughs) but you know um for you bro what did your what did your karate journey give you that was different because you play competitive rugby you were into a lot of sports and um, you had you know friends and had social activities you know you were one of those guys Um, (laughs) um, so what was it you know you do you playing all these other things to really high levels what was it about that what was it for you that was so influential and kept you coming back to your karate uh, for me it's the culture Uh, in in the rugby and rugby league builds a, a culture straight after the game. Even at 16 years old, straight after the game, you go and get on the business to make boys. And uh, it's not that I'm anti-social, it's that uh, I have a different outlook on the, on the whole situation. You know, we'll go away on tournaments and, and uh, the boys will be on the piss. Just before, you know, we'll have a game the next day and I didn't like that sort of that, uh, that sort of culture. But I'm not saying it doesn't happen in karate when you go and wear a because you know, I've seen that too. Yeah, but, uh, same. I like I like the the final environment, the family environment. I, I, I just yeah, like I was saying, like uh, when a when an artist uses a, a beautiful colour, that's what it's like to me. Just draws me to it, and I, I, I continue to practice karate and. Uh, not, not just in the martial arts sense, but, you know, the whole go outside and breathe and practice karate, just breathing and being with my children, a way of being, a way of life. That's what I enjoy most about karate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things that we were talking about this morning was, um, so Arapit and I, um, there's, we've kind of, there's, there's like a, a trio of us, another trio, a quintet, a quartet, whatever it is, uh, of, of what we call the brotherhood, and, and we spend a lot of time together, um, and, um, you know, because Ada Peter alludes to, none of us drink or smoke or take any drugs, um, and that's kind of a personal choice. If you know anything about Polynesian culture in terms of uh, being Māori or Pacific Island in New Zealand, um, there's a massive drinking culture around the sport of rugby league and rugby, um, which, you know, as other people are talking about, probably alienated you in a way, bro, because you didn't, weren't a part of that. And I certainly saw that, I've seen that in martial arts too around the world. Um, 
and, and just to get the colloquialism so people who are not listening from New Zealand can understand or Australia, when Arapito was talking about being on the piss, on the piss is a, a, oh, yeah. a colloquialism that we use for drinking. <laughs> so drinking, yeah. going yeah. out and, and getting on the piss is, is a term of um, people going out and getting <laughs> drunk, just so you know. Um, <laughs> so for you, bro, when did... When did karate start making sense in your body? What, and when did it kind of um, I don't know, make a mark on you, you know? When did it dawn on you? Uh, I, can, I can actually remember, it was 1997. I was uh, still in college back then, had a beautiful lock of hair, nice afro, and had a beard even at that age, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I can remember 1997, uh, I'd already, I'd been doing karate for maybe three or four years, and I wanted to give rugby and league a go, another go, uh, so I went back to rugby and league, and I found out that due to karate, all the push-ups, all the, all the low squat, the squat jumps, uh, was one of uh, Sensei Shaw's favorite to do in a squat jump. I think sometimes we'll do over over a hundred in, in junior class and then over a hundred in senior class and then in the jiu-jitsu class we'll do, you know, just, it, uh, it was very, uh, very hard training back in those days. But I found when I crossed over back to rugby and league, I was doing a lot of karate techniques, a lot of jiu-jitsu techniques, just to hold, to hold down and the grapple and I found that my strength, my holding strength and my grip strength were just, yeah, they were, they were above most most young men my age, mm. just due to the fact that you know, all the Hojonjo uh, training would do with, with Sensei Shaw, mm. yeah, especially in the legs, I was a prop which is in the front row of a, of a scrum <clears> and you push against another three men with two people pushing behind you. And uh, my lower body strength was at 16. I was able to squat 215, uh, 205 kilos. Yeah, 205 kilos. Which is how much in uh, pounds? For, it's over um, 400 pounds. <laughs> 430. If, if you've ever spent any time in Arapita, and he does, you know, like if you, especially if you've done lifting with him, um, there's a couple of times where I've, I've, I've well, because, you know, he's taught me how to deadlift and that, you know, it's really funny. He just sort of slams plates on and goes, lift it like this, and we're standing there talking to you, and you're going, it's hard to focus on what he's saying because he's lifting so much weight, and he's talking to you while he's got it up in the lift. Um, so, yeah, to give you an idea of, he makes it look really effortless. Um, you know, bro, one of the things I wanted to talk about this morning, that uh, we'll talk about with you today, was that, um, yeah. you know, we were talking about this morning when we sort of had a quick catch-up over coffee. <laughs> oh, mind yeah. you, I might have been down there and drinking coffee, sorry, bro. Um, coffee. You know, we, you're talking about how easy it is to get into this thing of punishing yourself during training. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. Can you talk, can you expand on that? Because I think it's so true, right? I know I've certainly found it. I think it was a really, a really great and valid point about abusing your body through training. Yeah. Uh, one of the uh, things that uh, I was talking about back in 97 was uh, I got selected to go into the sports academy for 90 in 
what people I mean I know you know that sort of rings a bell with me I mean when I was younger I started training when I was five and you know for me it just started with you know throwing myself around the, on the ground doing cartwheels and things like that when I was a little kid you know having that sort of energy um, you know just throwing myself on the ground um, but you know later on especially I guess growing up and around a lot of you know for me growing up around a lot of violence and drugs and alcohol and everything kind of that entailed you know karate became martial arts in general just became a kind of an obsession and I think at times because it became a bit of an escape it turned a corner into something quite negative and I don't mean that I went around smashing people I I think it just turned around and turned into this thing where I found something I was good at it and I was terrified of not being good at it so I would overtrain. um I would get into the point where, you know, like it was all I thought about and talked about. I had no social skills. I think my parents were really worried about me. Um, and and what do you think is at the root of that, bro? What do you think of is the bo- at the bottom of, of those sort of attitudes and just in training in general? Yeah, um, for myself, you, uh, the tendency to overtrain sometimes, uh, well, I can only speak for myself, is I'm trying to reach for this unobtainable uh, goal. And I think you said it best in uh when you've got to train for the karate practitioner you are now, not for the karate practitioner you were. And uh, yeah, it just, it just rang true to me. And I've based a lot of the things I've done so far in my life around it especially when it comes to training. Mm. Um, but yeah, an unobtainable goal, you know, some some people are, are blessed with this ability and beautiful genetics, you know, they, you can't pick your parents. Uh, some people can As much as you'd like to at times. As much as you'd like to. <laughs> <laughs> but um, genetics plays a huge part in it, even due with recovery. I've seen guys who can smoke and drink, and I trained... Every day, I use a good, uh, you know, training program, periodization, you know, progressive overloads. I've really researched it, looked into it. This was at a young, young age too. 
just so I could progress. These guys literally ate terribly, drank, <laughs> and then they'll get on the field and it and just run circles around. They'll faster, better. Mm. So yeah, I always wanted to be like these guys. Do you think that the, you, the guy I am? Do you think that the guy you am is pretty bloody um, impressive, bro? The guy you am, the guy you is, the guy you, is, the guy you are. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, people who do that, who take that approach, at the end you pay a price, and I think that that can only get you so far. You know, like I've met plenty of guys in my training in my life who have been naturals, and it's almost like, for me, my gift is practice, is, is regular practice, I think, and... Uh, which yeah. doesn't make me any better or worse, but I think when you have a degree of um, natural skill, you tend to take that for granted. And when when the problem with that is that you don't grow resilience around when you meet someone who's better than you or you get an injury yeah. or something happens in life. You know, if you suddenly lose that um, that natural ability... Um, or, or it's it's not it's not counting it's not it's not as um, wonderful you know you've, maybe you've been a you know a, you know big fish in a small pond and you get into a big pond and there's great whites out there um, you know it only takes you so far I mean I think for me the combination of um, if you have those combinations if you can be a natural and you're also a disciplined trainer. That, that goes a long way. Now, bro, you do a lot of work um, in mentoring um, men, um, yeah. fa- young fathers yeah. and, and things like that. So does do your martial arts, the things you've learned through the martial arts, come to, it, it'll play a part in how you view that work? Yeah, one, that's, uh, 100%. I can uh, honestly say that some of the programs I've run, is basically a karate class. You know, uh, they, oh, everyone the tense, all is breathe together, we just breathe into our nose. Mm-hmm. So then we stand up and we do a bit of stretching. Uh, my approach to, to my mentoring, my men- mentoring classes based around you know, karate principles, uh, you know, like a dojo kun, things, you know, the respect not be too proud of you want. Mm-hmm. So finding balance within yourself. Uh, you know, I'm still learning myself, obviously, and of course, you know, it's not something that uh, will happen overnight. Mm. Uh, definitely. It, karate has formed every aspect of my life mm. to the point where I, I, I didn't realise that I've been teaching my kids karate over the years. Uh, they know patterns and I was oh, how did you learn that? Because you practice on it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm constantly, I, I don't even know I'm uh, practicing karate. Mm. You know, it's funny, uh, um, me, uh, my, well, um, Arapita and myself were on tour with another friend of ours, Ben at home, hoping to get on the podcast in the far north and we were all on phone calls. <laughs> me and Arapita were on phone calls. Uh-huh. 
I'm talking to her partners because we were all far away from home, so it was a kind of a certain time of day after we'd finished our work where we'd all be checking in with our families and our wives and so on. And it was really funny because me and other people were out there standing there and we we're on their, these mobile phones and we we're both these, these like posts and things like that, you know, like, uh, you know, hold the roofs up and me and them were standing there punching them up, doing Mikey Wada and we're kicking them and practicing sweeps and all this sort of stuff. So when you talk about unconscious martial arts, bro, I'm right there with you, bro. Yeah. I'm right there with you. Yeah. There's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> um, now, yeah. something I want to ask, bro, you know, you, you're very much immersed in the traditional Māori carving, wood carving and so on, yeah. and, and very much immersed yeah. in, in teaching a Māori and things like that. Is there, is there, do you think that there's an intersection between what we learn in karate and, and, and sort of, well, are there parallels between what we learn in karate and what we learn in our culture? And what, 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 are the, what oh, would you say those are? Definitely the, uh, like the grace and the flow that you have in your movement, the heart and the stuff you have in your movement, those will translate well over into calm. The uh, ability to move your body uh, uh, and use, especially if you've done uh, weaponry before, uh, use them as an extension of your body like what it should. The discipline, the focus, uh, which you know, it was very difficult for me to focus. I must admit, I must have done at least uh, 50 push ups when I first started karate every session because of my mind wanders a lot and it's very hard for me to maintain focus. Same with carbon. Mm. Yeah, I really struggled focusing on one thing at a time, but uh, it comes with practice. <laughs> mm. and, and one thing, yeah, there's a huge parallel. One thing with Adapita that I really like is he's a wonderful weapons carver too. He's just like when when he carves his weapons, you're going, oh, yeah, because um, it's hard to explain unless you know what we're talking about. Weapons like um, Tayaha, which is a long club, Patu, which is a short club, Kotiatu, all these different kind of Māori weapons, and there's many. Um, but whenever I've seen anything Adapita has carved, and I've been lucky enough to um, have the use of some of them, of a different work I've been involved in, they're, real, they're like, yeah, this is carved by someone who knows weapons. Um, so, bro, I'm going to ask you, here's, here's a question for you. You know, in Māori, we say tōkana teina, and in Japanese, or Okinawan, we say senpai kōhai. So what is the, the relationship between a tōkana and a teina, or a.k.a. a senpai and a kōhai? What would you characterise that relationship as? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, for me, uh, as myself, as a Tuakana sometimes, as a, you know, an elder brother, right, is to teach and help develop my family, my friends, in a way, but also to continue learning the reciprocal thing. So it's like a big circle. We, we feed and nourish each other. We ask the questions, we receive the answers from each other. You know, it's, a, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a huge thing in, in Māori culture, you know, to learn from each other and to share goodness in all cultures, really. Uh, 
Yeah, no, that's cool, bro. I mean, you know, it's interesting. It's, you know, talk on a thing. I mean, senpai kohai. Now, that relationship is an interesting one too because, you know, especially when you, know, you and I are both seen in, in different dojo where senpai and kohai senpai is like, like hey senpai or us senpai or whatever the acknowledgement is. And it's almost like they treat people like, I want to say slaves, or treat them like second-class citizens and they're there to do their bidding. I mean, I suppose... You know, one of the things I also like about what you said is that sometimes I'm the uh, I'm the tour kind of. Sometimes I'm the older brother, and then at the same time oh. acknowledging, but I'm always the younger brother to someone else. I like that. Um, or to and to for the feminine of those concepts. Um, so, bro, you so your dad's um, martial artist as well, eh? Is it, is, is it Wing Chun? Yeah, yeah. Wing Chun, yeah. <laughs> what was yeah. it like having um, having? Your uncle, or your your uncle, your father's brother, a Gojuru Karate practitioner, and then having um, your um, your dad as a Wing Chun practitioner, there must have been some interesting conversations had. Oh, it, um, I must admit, I, uh, I consider myself very fortunate. I'll come home after those three trainings, you know, uh, four or five hour training uh, in a day, and then uh, come home to training, where <laughs> I'll learn... My, my father would try and teach me uh, the uh, the first um, patterns of Wing Chun and, and the block and uh, uh, yeah uh, basic foundations uh, like wooden dummy applications and I just I was very fortunate because with the physical training also came the um, the spiritual training and mm. the legal training uh, he was able to, my, my father and, and um, Kempo would also be able to um, relate all those three, the spiritual, physical, you know, the mental sort of aspects of martial arts into everyday life. Mm. So, uh, my father would say, well, just think about it, you know, if you do this this way, it's going to have a negative impact. You know, he taught me about positive and negative of throwing a punch like this or a hook like that or countering the wrong way but also uh, what happens if you go up to a guy because you're noisy and just slap him there are positive and negative consequences for your actions in all life mm. uh, what if you don't take your your math seriously mm. what's going to happen you're not going to get the grade you want perhaps you won't get the job you want mm. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's um, it's a really, it's really, really good points, bro. I um, you know, it's funny. Uh, you know, it's so easy, I think, to get discouraged. You know, in terms of your training. I mean, it's one thousand like me and you. I go so. Other pictures, you know, like I say, I'm part of a small group of people who I go to and moan my ass off to be totally honest about sort of when I'm feeling kind of sorry for myself when I'm going through a bit of a a lag. Um, and you know it's I think it's really important like you pointed out later on or earlier on bro but you know the people we choose to surround ourselves both within a dojo and both in our family and our personal life and things like that right. so you know like I know Ames um, your beautiful wife is was a, a judo practitioner as well and she's a, she's a school yeah, teacher right. among other things yeah. where does having an understanding partner um, wife um, or that special someone 
where does that sit in terms of being able to live the life of a of a martial artist? It's, uh, for me, it's right at the top. You know, you can't communicate with your wife, and it's hard to maintain uh, a good karate life as well. Because at times, uh, you may be questioned, why are you going running around with these men, you know, or men and women in your pajamas? But, uh, you know, an understanding and communication is the key when you're in a partnership like this. Uh, you know, I know sometimes it can be hard for partners to understand the love and passion that practitioners have for, for this the art, for the sport, for, for what it is. Uh, sometimes I can't understand it myself. <laughs> Yeah. I, I think I'm very fortunate to have a wife that does really understand my love and passion for martial arts with Book carving, fish tanks, you know, um, science, ancestry, yeah. you know, all that kind of, yeah. you know, um, you know yeah. healing. I have a lot of hobbies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, true, bro. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think one of the things I'm really thankful to is to have, um, you know, like yourself and Ben and Jimmy and Leon and those sort of guys who I can sit down and have a conversation to, um, yeah. like especially with you, and not have to explain, you know, when we're talking about martial arts, not go, well, what this means or what that means. Yeah. And it's really important. Yeah. Um, you know, with what's happening now with COVID and so on and so forth, I'm finding that there's a real proliferation of really creative approaches out there on the internet and things like that. Um, So for you in general, bro, I mean, just not in terms of karate, but just in terms of life and how do you feed yourself? How do you keep yourself motivated after all this time um, to continue doing the things that you do, you know, the work you do with um, fathers and the work you do with young men and um, with families and all that sort of stuff? How does all this incredible mix of things you've done how does that feed that oh yeah. well, uh, my main my main reason for getting up every day is my family you know uh, I have suffered from depression for a long time mm. you know crippling where I wouldn't get out of bed and then it's a reason too but uh yeah my children they're, they're, they're my drive force. They're, they're the, uh, the reason I get opportunities with my wife. Yeah. Mm. I think it's what better, what better reason could you could you have? Could you have, bro? I mean, just, I think that's what Martin Luther King said. He says, what good is a life lived if you have nothing and it worth dying for? You know? Wow, yeah. yeah. Wow, yeah. yeah. Um, Bro, look, I just want to sort of say we're kind of coming to the end of um, the interview and I want to get you on the, on the podcast more. I want to thank you as my mate, as my brother and love you, man, and um, respect you as a martial artist, as a father and a man. And, um, yeah, I suppose there's a long way of asking you when this COVID thing uh, drops, will you um, help me put more makiwara in the dojo? <laughs> 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 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I think I'll be doing that for two years. Yeah, hey, this is yeah, this is this is a really elaborate way of doing it, bro. No, um, no, thanks, bro. Um, will you? I want to get you and Bees on because I think the three of us we had some really interesting sort of takes on on martial arts and stuff like that. But hey, thank you for taking the time, bro. I love your reflections on on family. Yeah, and everything and. It's always choice, bro. Always enjoy. <laughs> Thank you for taking the time, bro. Um, oh, no worries. You know, is there anything you want to say to these people listening in Canada, Australia, America, and some parts of Europe? Um, oh, wow. Out there in beautiful cans. I'm going to say they're probably cans. Not cans, <laughs> cans. Um, the heck at Arkansas and all these wonderful places. Uh, um, is, wow. there any, is there anything you want to say to the folk out there that are listening to this that are, are, are wondering whether or not they should continue doing karate or how are they going to train? Yeah. Man, it's, it's a way of life. You know, karate doesn't uh, begin and end in the dojo. Karate is everywhere and everything you do. I think I got that of karate yesterday. <laughs> I think they got that. I think karate got that off you. <laughs> but yeah, it's, yeah. it's everywhere. Yoga, son. Uh, everything you do there can be a part of karate. Uh, the main thing is that it, it's, it's positive for you. Mm. Good or bye. Okay, guys, well, I just want to thank Ada Pizza for coming on the podcast today. That was Ada, that's Ada Pizza Kamo. Um, and I'm going to get him on a bit more because we do tend to have a bit of fun when we talk together, as you can probably hear. Um, and, hey, guys, don't forget you can catch us on Instagram at Invisible Sensei and also on our Facebook page, the Invisible Sensei Podcast. I'm going to put up a couple of videos. I mean, Arapita, he's very kindly, is my, my uke, of, uke of choice when I can drag him away from all the other stuff he does. Um, and thanks, bro. Um, and you guys take care, keep training, and take care of yourselves. <laughs>